run. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I'm Paul. And I am Terry. And I hope you guys enjoyed last episode in his image. I hope that um, you know, that it you you went off to Lover's uh lane or whatever it was and really sparked up the ladies. Sparked them up, man. Sparked them up and tossed some old ladies in front of subway trains and made a robot out of spare parts. He's that- obviously really good with the women. <laughs> yeah, in the he, sparking groups. He has he has a, circles. He has a way with the women as in he he finds a way to throw them in front of a train. Yeah, so, yeah. Um all right, that, that, that's that's our that's I hope you guys enjoyed uh, in his image. It was great to get back in Twilight Zone and now we're getting into season sorry, season 4 episode 2. I almost said season 2 episode 4, but we've done that one already. Uh the 30 Fathom Grave. Before we get into this proper, uh, we do have some news. We don't normally have breaking news for a show that's 60 years old, but it's just something that happened yesterday, and it it is definitely of note. Unfortunately, Carol Serling, uh, wife of Rod Serling, passed away yesterday at age 91. Um, And it's important to note not only because she was his wife. There's a lot of times he talked about, like, in his career process, she was like a partner. Like, she does what – like, there is this tendency to think of, like – uh, back then on like TV and everything that you'd have like the men doing the things and the women would always be home, like, you know, tending the homestead, taking care of the kids. No, they were equal partners. A lot of things they did. And I'm, I think she was able to kind of be a sounding board and also like a point of reason sometimes for them. So yeah, it's important to note that she also continued the legacy and over, she was kind of the caretaker. Yeah. It, it, she, it, I, you could definitely tell that she was a, a partner in, in like what he was doing. I mean, and especially with how, how overworked he was, you have to have somebody who's that like, I don't know, that much more of a rock for you, you know, with him doing the college stuff and then him writing all the episodes, sometimes rewriting episodes and that. Yeah, just working like constantly. Right. So uh, but like the, the big thing, too, is like after he passed away, uh, I mean, she she had her own career in education and things. So it wasn't like this was like her her legacy, but she made sure that his was taken care of. Uh, she was uh, a consultant on the Twilight Zone, the movie. And uh, Terry pointed out to me she was in a segment, and I had forgotten about that. So she got to be in the movie, so that's fun. Uh, she was a supervising producer for uh, Twilight Zone, Rod Sterling's Lost Classics, which uh, we have covered on Strange Highways previously. Uh, not good, but interesting enough. You know. Yeah, you, I mean, it's part of the catalog. You kind of have to do it. So Yeah, she found one of his scripts that was unproduced, and it was like for something that may not have been for the Twilight Zone, but they ended up using it. It's the second segment. I forget the name of the, the segment, but it's the one with Jack Palance in it. So it's good. It's just, you know, the, the you go back and listen to the episode, guys. There's a, a, a Gary Cole moment in there where he's dressed up as a clown, and it's very annoying that I, I hammer home over and over and over again. He just says hello. It's just annoying as a clown. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. But I don't think she was the one that signed off one. Can we have Gary Cole, Cole dressed up as a clown being annoying? That'd be a weird producing thing. I yeah, uh, I I think so. Yeah, be like the way we're gonna do this is the clown's in, and you got to get uh um oh um Darth Vader um 
James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones to do the the narration, which it's like that's a win. You guys, yeah, you know, like so perfect. Good voice. Yeah, right. and she was also a producer on the the, the most recent revival of the Jordan Peele uh, Twilight Zone. So uh, she also helped establish the Rod Sterling ar- archives at Ithaca College. Uh, so that actually includes scripts, screenplays, uh, Sterling six Emmy awards, uh, photos, films for his personal collection. I don't know if this is open to the public because if it is. It, that's really not that far away from us, and we, I think yeah, we that, could make that track. Uh, yeah, because his his um his barrel plots up in upstate New York too. So I've always kind of wanted to you know pay my respects, and if there's if this arch- archives are available, that'd be really cool to dig into. So, uh, but yeah, she's now she's now passed. Uh, his his daughter's still alive, Ann and Jody, and then he has some grandchildren and great grandchildren. But I know his daughter, um, the little mini documentary that they showed about the Twilight Zone after the Fathom event that I went to recently, she was in it a lot. So I'm gonna have a feeling she probably has some, you know, not say per se, but like she's still involved and probably they. You want to keep a Sterling involved, I'm sure. I would hope so yeah. too. So yeah, uh, 91. So it's like, you can't be like gone too soon, but still it's sad. And it just kind of shows you as, as much as he was gone. And like, I don't like I forget when he passed away. It actually probably says this here. Um, but like, you just think about like, you know, he died in 75. It's like, that, how, like my God, like you, like that feels like forever ago. And now his wife just passed. And then we're talking about a show that's like 60 years old. It's just, Time is is fluid, and it always blows my mind about how far away we think are think think things are, but they're really not. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that the legacy continues on, and like that she was able to watch like different iterations of what Rod was really had brought to the audience in the, in the beginning. And and she said that he would have been blown away if people were still finding his stuff relevant and important. So I think she always kind of eyed to like what he would think about things. So yeah, just, just to mention it, you know, you know, condolences to the family, uh, but it's, you know, especially for this show, it's worthy of note. So that's it for, for news. Uh, that I was, I was telling Terry first started recording. There isn't a lot of twilight zone news anymore. Aside from the new stuff. Cause most of the people involved are no longer with us, so it's not you can't be like breaking news, dead fifty years. Like, right? <laughs> it, it, it's definitely something that we had to that we had to touch on. Let you know uh, people know about the facts. I mean, even if they are like the very disappointing ones like this, but yeah, here we are. We're yeah. giving you we're giving you knowledge. Still. There you go. Yeah. So, all right, uh, moving on to uh, the the episode improper, uh, season four, episode two, thirty fathom grave, air date January tenth, nineteen sixty three. Uh, number one film was still Lawrence in Arabia. Number one song uh, we mentioned last week was Telstar by the Tornadoes, which is a wonderful instrumental track. Um, so w- what I have from that day and date, uh, the American film Keep Fear was finally released in the United Kingdom, but only after Thompson agreed to 161 cuts of dialogue uh, ordered by the censors center- uh, of the British Board of Film to avoid an X rating. Yeah, I saw that too. I was like, wow. I was like... I guess that film was pretty abrasive for their their criticism in that. And yeah, it's just, and I mean, I, I don't think I've seen the original Cape Fear, so that's on me. But it just makes me wonder, like, what could be in that that would be so, yeah. you know, so yeah, to take such a harsh rating at that time too, because I mean, it it was like eight months or nine months before they were even going to release it. It was, it's like, what's going on here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's the holdup? And it was a huge film, a huge film for its time. So. Yeah. So, but the British, they just, you know, I like the 161 cuts. I don't know of dialogue. I, I guess that, I guess they were okay with the violence or the implied violence, but not the words, whatever. Anyway, 
uh, that's what I found uh, for the day and date. Uh, let, uh, unless you have something else for the, oh. the date. Okay. Actually, I do have uh, oh, perfect. an interesting one. Well, it, not the exact date, but uh, two days prior, um, they had the Mona Lisa put on uh, display for the first time in the U.S. But, yeah, that's neat because like that's one of those things that we just kind of, as a given, that it's been like this known like cultural touchstone and it's only kind of gotten popular in like the last like 150 years mm -hmm. and it's yeah so um i'm sure that certainly helped um you know get more eyes on it I, possibly I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know it's, i mean because it's like the mona lisa wasn't a big thing until I, I don't know there this is this is my knowledge there's an episode of drunk history that goes into someone stealing the mona lisa because they felt that it belonged to their country and i forget like i forget because um Da Vinci's Italian, like right, so like not Da Vinci, yeah, Da Vinci did the Mona Lisa, yeah, and so they stole it because they felt it belonged to Italy, so they stole it from I think it was in the Louvre, um, and they stole it and they kept it for years, and then eventually because it was found and because it was missing, it started gaining notoriety. So it was by the fact that someone just took it and hid it is what made people notice it. it, it there is like discussions that this is, the one that they have right now is actually a fake. It's just that they wanted to put something back on display and get people well, into the Hudson Hawk probably stole it and we've not, <laughs> we've, we don't know what happened after that, right? <laughs> yeah. Or, or Nicholas Cage stole it for something involving national treasure, who knows. Yeah, but, it's got a map on the back. It's got a map on the back to the real Mona Lisa. Oh <laughs> my god. Um so all right, uh, let's just get into cast and crew. Uh, this was directed by Perry Lafferty, who we talked about last week, who uh, directed uh, In His Image. Written by Rod Serling. Whatever happened to that guy? Um, so good to get a Rod Serling script here early. Uh, I know he's not going to write as many for this season, but it's like I, as much as we had Charles Beaumont last week, and I love Charles Beaumont, I was kind of wondering how we would feel about Serling in this new format. And it's kind of also, it's almost like that warm hug of like, okay, Rod's back. We're, we're in like, you know, safe waters, you know? So uh, it's nice to have one of his scripts. Safe early. waters. Yeah. yeah. Safe waters. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah. Uh, cast. Uh, let me kick it off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for our cast, uh, our, basically our lead is uh, Mike Healing or Kelling, I believe as uh, chief bell. Um, this was his only uh, twilight zone appearance. But he was in some other notable stuff. Uh, he was in Midnight Express, uh, God Told Me To. And, and the one that I knew, as soon as I looked at his face, I knew who it was. He was in Sleepaway Camp as Mel. Yeah, I, I put that down because uh, I figured you would, you would enjoy that. Yeah, that was really easy for me. He has a very <laughs> noticeable face. Like it's, I, I understand who that was right away. And then uh, next we have Simon Oakland. Yeah, before we get to Mr. Oakland, I just want to mention, uh, Kellen actually got nominated for an Oscar for Midnight Express. So this guy has, you know, caliber. Not that I'm saying Sleepaway Camp isn't like, you know, high art, but uh, uh, he, I like the Wikipedia described him as Kellen's coarse featured face, tired eyes, and flat monotone voice suggested that he uh, had lived hard and fast. I'm like, thanks, Wikipedia. Like, great. It's like, his face is a catcher mint. He seems sadness. <laughs> like, Yeah. So anyway, and he was also something called Mr. Peepers that makes me think of the Chris Kattan like, SNL skit where he played like, like the, the primate. Okay. Yeah. I just, I'm like, I don't think that's the same thing. And <laughs> no, 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 I don't think Probably so. Probably not. Probably not. And he was also <laughs> uh, in an episode Alfred Hitchcock presents. So there you go. Some more anthology cred there. Oh yeah. That's right. I did see that too. Um, uh, so that, uh, uh, like I was saying, uh, Simon Oakland as uh, captain Beachman Beecham Beecham. Yeah. Beecham. Um, this was his second episode that he had done with uh, Twilight Zone. He was also in the 
season two episode, the Rip Van Winkle caper. Yep, yeah, that was it. It took me a second to place him because he uh, he was one of the main leads in that, and it just very different character there. Um, the episode's a little wonky, like it's not it's not the best, but he was good in it. Uh, and so I maybe I didn't cover this then, uh, and if I did, I apologize. Uh, he was in twenty episodes of Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Yeah, um, so a, a big deal there. Um, he was also a familiar voice for the tagline when it absolutely positively has to be there overnight, uh, for federal express. That was like his, he was the one that said the line. Well, he does have pretty good voice. He does have a great voice. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see that. Okay. And then, uh, he he was also in psycho and then West side story. Oh, see, good. I didn't even notice that. I was like, he did a voiceover for federal express. That's important. And uh, one more notable thing about him is that he is a violinist. He uh, was a concert violinist before he was an actor. Oh. He took up acting in the 40s. Oh, nice. Okay. Look at that. He's a very um, uh, well, well-rounded person. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, next person I have here is uh, David Shiner. Yeah. As uh, Doc. Yep. Uh, who looked very, like, very familiar to me. And I just, nope. Like he just he had a face that I'm like, he, this guy's been in everything, right? This is only Twilight Zone appearance. Uh, he was in the film version of The Odd Couple. I just want to mention that just because it's, I, you know, I love The Odd Couple. And in an episode of the 80s TV show, Auto Man, I know you're not going to know what that is, Terry, but no. there, <laughs> people need to watch the trailer for this thing. It, it's ridiculous. It's like, for whatever reason, NBC thought that Tron was going to be a big hit. So they wanted to make like a low budget kind of version of this guy who was like Auto Man. He would like have a, like a bright blue, like, outfit then he would I it just he would like I don't know if it was him or his ability to use computers but there'd be like a car that would digitize it was like really dumb but I kind of want to watch all of it I, I actually I do vaguely remember this now <laughs> now that you said the thing about the car yeah uh, oh yeah well he also was in Blue Thunder um it's a, about like this helicopter that has all these special abilities. Um, and isn't um, it, Roy Scheider? He is, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yep. He's a pilot of it, I believe. Yeah. Uh, it's been uh, probably 30 years since I've seen that movie. but uh, And then he did one episode of The Amazing Spider-Man. Because of our kinship with Spider-Man and how much we love it, I had to bring that in. Perfect. Yeah, awesome. Um, all right. So then we got uh, John uh, Con- Considine. As, um, that sounds good enough to me. Con- yeah. yeah. <laughs> I apologize. Names aren't my forte, but his name is McClure. McClure. The, yeah. the diver. I had to add that there just to make sure we knew who he was. Uh, only Twilight Zone episode. I do want to mention though he was in an episode of Sea Hunt and the Aquanauts. So I see a theme here with him. He's uh, aquatic. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, hey, like, did you bring your own diving suit? Yeah. Come on. We, we'll take it. Sea Hunt's fine. Uh, 1973's Dr. Death, Seeker of Souls. I did not know what that is, but it sounds like something it amazing. It looks like just from the description, I need to see this movie. Yeah, did you see the the seventy four film, The Thirsty Dead, that he was also in? No, I did not see that one. Yeah, that looks he amazing has too. Actually, had some pretty interesting stuff in his catalog. Yeah, a lot of weird genre stuff later. Yeah. So, so yeah, made I'm, for TV films that were like more, like, uh, I don't know, more about like serial killers and stuff like that. Like, yeah. Um, and he was a voice on an episode of Batman the Animated Series. So there we go. Uh, but yeah, Hackle. yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to find this Doctor Death Seeker of Souls. That's a great name. Yeah, it sounds really cool. Yeah. So then we got uh, the next person I have on the list here is Bill Bixby, as uh, uh, the the OOD. I, they had a name, but I didn't. It's, a, it's Officer on the Deck. Sure, guy who reads jargon. That's his, his character <laughs> name. And it took me until I looked at the cast list to realize that was Bill Bixby. Yeah, it, like even when I I didn't notice it until I looked at the IMDb and yeah. looked at the the different characters, and I was like, oh my god, really? And I was like, 
And you, get, if you look at him, you're like, okay, I see it, but it's like I wouldn't, I would not have picked it out at all. Right. I, I mean, I'm so used to seeing him in color. <laughs> <laughs> well, because what we most know him from is, uh, you the know, Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk. Yeah, because he was Doctor, not Bruce Banner. David, David Banner. Banner. Do you know why they changed the name? I did hear this, but please say it. Yeah, because CBS felt that the name Bruce was more leaning towards being a homosexual than the name Dick. I, so, I just don't get that. I don't, I, I, I don't understand like, that. But, but the notion of a guy wearing purple pants and turning into like a very big, big green guy, I don't know. Like They're like, we're fine with that. Just can't name him Bruce. Like, I, I, I think Bruce is actually a pretty masculine name. It I, is a pretty masculine name. I don't right? know where yeah. they would get that 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 idea. Yeah. So uh, he was also in. Uh, so th- this episode uh, it was filmed in '63. He would go on to actually be in my favorite Martian in '63 as well, which was like one of his big hits uh, with him and uh, Ray Walston, if I remember right. And then uh, later in his career, he actually directed 30 episodes of Blossom. Yes, I did see that yeah. as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean the guy like the guy had a career, and it's like it was one of those situations. I don't you probably I don't know if you recall whenever he did pass away. It was like those one of those celebrities. Everyone's like, oh, like there was like there was like no like ill will. It's like oh, why Bixby? Why it was like just kind of yeah. So I I never heard anything bad about him or anything no, like that. I mean, so. other just don't make him angry. That's you, what yeah. And, and you don't want to see him when he's angry. Don't call him Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so then, uh, do, do you have, who do you have next? Do you have anybody else? I, I honestly, I didn't mark anybody else okay. down at this point because, uh, I mean like the, the cast stays pretty tight to like a few and, characters well, and plus all of them look the same cause they're all wearing Navy outfits. So it's really yeah. hard to tell a difference. Uh, I, um, wanted to just mention here, uh, I went through a little further down, uh, Forrest Compton, which is a great name. That sounds like that'd be a name Sterling would make up. It was an officer. He was one episode of Hawaiian eyes. So take a drink. Yeah, <laughs> good. Uh, Henry Scott as the junior officer on deck, which I, whatever, sure he was the Bixby Junior. Uh, he was in. This is the second of two Twilight Zone episodes. Was also in the Big Tall Wish, which is from season one or two. I it's can't uh, season one, season episode one. twenty-seven. I had another page of notes that I had put off to the side. I'm sorry. No, good. You're, you know, uh, do you have any other notes about Forrest Compton or uh, Henry Scott or Conlon Carter? No, I do not, actually. Okay, so then... Uh, no more pages. Yeah, so I have Derek Lewis. He's the helmsman. Uh, eight episodes of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. I just wanted to mention it because it's very appropriate. Uh, and then uh, Vincent Bagast as the sailor. He was in two episodes of Freddy Night- Freddy's Nightmares. So, oh, okay. Like, that's another thing, too, when you do these these shows, you're like, Freddy's Nightmares doesn't seem that long ago. It was, you know, it was in the 90s, but you're like seeing these guys end up like in stuff that like probably when you and I were like middle school, high school, it's like, it's just how it goes forward. You know, like we find connections to like Seinfeld and stuff in here too. It's really, really interesting. Uh, and then I have uh Louis Elisa as a sailor, uh, five uncredited roles in star Trek. And then did a lot of stunts. I just wanted to admit, cause you gotta have star Trek in here. So that's yeah. A lot of guys that you may have seen, but probably didn't. So I don't know. Do you have anybody else? No, no, that was it. All right, so let's just get uh, let's get into the thirty fathom grade and let Mister Serling uh, take it away. Incident one hundred miles off the coast of Guadalcanal, time the present. United States naval destroyer on what has been a most uneventful cruise. In a moment, they're going to send a man down thirty fathoms and check on a noisemaker, someone or something tapping on metal. You may or may not read the results in a naval report. Because Captain Beecham and his crew have just set a course that will lead this ship and everyone on it into the Twilight Zone. 
All right. So um, they're going to go investigate a noisemaker. Uh, that's a very ominous thing. Uh, you guys heard the noise at the beginning of the episode. I played it because it's, it's very, uh, as much as you're going to hear it over and over again through the course of the actual episode, it, it is very unnerving. Uh, for what it is, which so we start off with seeing the the ship that uh, was it the Edison I think is the name of the ship. Uh, yes, the, like, yeah. I kept wanting to call it the Edison, but it was the Edison. Um, you see, you know them at sea, uh, and I like it was actually nice to actually see like location shooting because that's something that hasn't happened on the Twilight Zone for a while. So they actually did shoot this on the Edson. We'll have a little bit of trivia about that later. But seeing them, like, a lot of the men, like, you know, like, around, like, the different ship parts, whatever, I, that's not my forte. But, like, did you, like, how'd you feel about the one guy that had, like, the big, like, cranks, but had, like, the headset and, like, the mouthpiece on? And he, like, they'd always be, like, five knots, or I'd be like, sure, and he'd just, like, just ring it in. Like, he would always, like, I don't know, look like he's playing, like, a carnival game of, like, something, I don't know. Like Yeah, that, 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 um, sends the information down to the like the the boilers and that to like stop the ship and everything yeah. so, so it's just a communication device but he just seemed like he wasn't having like <laughs> any kind of day like he just looked so apathetic while he was there I, I wanted to get a screenshot of that because just because the headphones and the mouthpiece I want to be like this is what what our office slash studio looks like it's just us, like <laughs> you know I'll be like you know no full speed ahead and just like you just ring it in but anyway so um you get a lot of jargon, a lot of back and forth talking, like jargon, 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 um, which I, that kind of it kind of sucks some of the interest out of the episode for me. However, I will give Serling credit that when he actually because he, he uh, served in the military. Uh, and so when it comes to trying to get like the aspects of the armed services right, he does make it right. So a lot of the, 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 the stuff that you hear is accurate, I think. And if not, it's, it's pretty close. So he wanted to actually show these guys doing their job. They know what they're doing. They're professionals. So I got that. So I could respect that just because I didn't understand what they're saying. They understood what they're saying. So it's better than just being like, I don't know, trying to dumb it down. Be like, we're guys on a boat. We're going to make it go forward. Right. I, there were people online that were nitpicking certain aspects of what was oh, going yeah. on. Yeah. And it's like, but okay, great. It's like you you do know that whoever wrote the episode, Serling, obviously, uh, he had some background and like it tells in it it tells in the episode and also there's so when he would do research for an episode or he felt like there was something worthy of a script there was actually like a research firm he would actually like send out for these guys to go research like objects and items and and they would write back with recommendations for scripts saying this is not how this would go like this is how it would go so think of them as like physical google like he'd hire these research firms so they would tell him like how this had to work like the bit with um the diving suit later that was added because they're like, there's no way a diver in like a skin suit could talk to the ship. So they had to find a way to make it make sense. Right. So, uh, but yeah, so the, the jargon, um, you know, I respect it. It's just, you know, I could have done without some of it, but I think that's also uh, a victim of this being the hour long format. It, so. it definitely was. It, this was one of the episodes that had to be rewritten for the format, the hour long format. So, yeah. So, because there, there's some padding in here and you can kind of feel it. But so we, we meet Captain Beecham. Uh, someone comes up to him, tells him like something happened to another like smaller ship that was, uh, you know, attached to the boat and you get from right from the rip that he is, uh, he takes no, like no nonsense. Like he is a hard ass. Yeah. He's really pissed off about this. He, 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 <laughs> he, he, he automatically is like, you need to find chief, uh, what was it? Bell. Chief Bell. Yeah. Chief Bell. And get him to his quarters so he could talk to him about it <laughs> and make it on the double. Yeah. So then they get, you know, this is when we meet Bell uh, and, and the captains kind of talk to him. It's like, you know, 
Uh, he admits like, you know, th- you had like all this forewarning about the storm coming. You didn't do this right. And he's like ripping Bell apart. And I like, there's a line here. He says, uh, he says, you stored your, your seamanship in a trunk and, and uh, made boners that a boob, like a boob would make or whatever he said to that effect. I'm just like, I was like, unpack what he just said. That's a weird sentence. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, that probably should have been like changed for TV. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's basically being like, I've known you for a long time. You've been straight down the line on a good officer. Like what's going on? And you get the, the thing from Bell. He just looks out of sorts. He almost looks confused when he's being like approached about all this information and that like he doesn't even know how to explain himself. Like he, he it, yeah, he says that, well, I just haven't been myself, sir, you know. And, yeah. And, and you can tell like he's looks sweaty and also credit. It's so uh, Kellen's uh, performance here. Is it, like watching a second time. It, it gets stronger because he's the one. Like he looks like a man that is like physically being pulled in different directions all the time. And I know the story kind of dictates that, but his body language is like all over the place on purpose, and it does a good job of always you making you feel like he's uneasy. Yeah, it, it reminds me of like a play actor. Like he's really trying to portray something that's like wrong with him, or like trying to grip at his like his lapel, like pulling yeah. him in a direction to to do things that. He's not really quite sure what is going on. And then the Beecham's like, is like, have you been to the doctor? Like, so you get to notice that Beecham, you get the feeling that he is a hard ass, but he also cares about his men. So I'm glad that that element's in the script because you could have easily just had the leader just shouting at people. Right. But you get the notion that he actually does care. And he's like, you know, if something's going on, tell me. And Bell's like, no, I'm fine. And then they send Bell on his way and he goes outside. And he almost has like a fainting spell and like the, the, the narrow, narrow hallways of the ship. Like it's not hallway, whatever you call it, the passageways of the ship. And I just, them shooting on the ship gave this thing like a sense of claustrophobia the entire time, which really ties into the episode as well. It's a scary feeling to be on a ship like that or any close quarters. Uh, I've been on a sub before and it's, it's scary. It is claustrophobic. Like there is no way to better describe it than that. Yeah, because generally there's no way out. Like, I mean, there is one way out, but probably not the way you want to go. Right, know, like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, it cuts to, like, you see, uh, like, the sonar area. But I love the sign that they focus on. It says, a collision at sea can ruin your day. I'm like, yeah, that seems fair. Like, yeah. <laughs> True story. Yeah. Um, and so uh, sonar starts picking up an object. They think it could be a submarine. And that's when we hear the knocking noise. Uh, and, and someone's like, sure sounds like tapping on metal. Thanks. We <laughs> Like, Captain Obvious. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, they're they're trying to make contact uh, to to the sub via underwater telephone, which I know that has to be a thing, but I just love that it's called the underwater telephone. I just, We live in an age of cell phones. Back then, I'm just thinking, what? Do you just run a line all the way down? And you're like, okay. Like, you got to wait for the ringing. Have somebody pick it up and connect you, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then they, later on, though, when they're actually trying to use the underwater telephone, I, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Uh <laughs> Do you do you remember what they said when they were trying to ring the sub? I'm I'm not off the top of my head. No, it was it, it was this unknown station. This is Lady. Over. It's just like unknown station. This is Lady. They identified themselves as Lady. I'm like that. Just like did did Serling foretell like dating apps in the future? Like <laughs> like they're like you know there's the poor girls like on Bumble like you know unknown station. This is Lady. Over. And all she gets all she gets back is a bunch of banging noises. Like, I don't know if I want to talk to that guy, you know. So all right, anyway. Blocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um they uh I, there's this bit though I like or whatever. Um uh 
Chief, uh, sorry, Captain Beecham's like, I want quiet. And they, they're listening to this. But because they're recording on location, you just hear every sound of the ship at the same time. Like this background noise of the ship running. And he's like, I want silence. I'm like, yeah, except your ship is really loud right now with what's going on. But like, so you hear the banging, but you hear like every other noise on the ship, but he wants quiet. I know that wasn't intentionally funny, but I thought it was funny. Yeah, and then there was a couple of the crew that are like trying to just really give their own like explanation of what's possibly going on in that. And he's like, oh, knock it off over there. Well, yeah, the, Can like, it. The, like the one guy is like, what, what do you think it is? He's like, ghost, man. Ghost. <laughs> like, okay, Shaggy, I don't know what's going on, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was just weird. And he's like, yeah, he's like, keep it down down there. I'm trying to hear this tapping over my loud ship, you know? Um, and it's like... <laughs> Like what was it? they said something like you've never heard anything like that tapping on metal before? It's like they're they're I think this is also the element of the episode being padded is that they have the same conversations over and over again. Um, they know that there's an object down there. They're hearing this tapping. The way that it's rhythmic, well, it's not. It is rhythmic, but it follows like it, it's a set pattern. That means that it it could almost be like Morse code. That's or what someone. I was really thinking too. Yeah. I was hoping it was that. I was hoping it was something like an actual message, maybe like drink more Ovaltine or whatever. Um, but yeah, like uh, drink <laughs> a your crummy Ovaltine. commercial. Yeah, like what? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> uh, but while the noise is going on, Bell, uh, you, he, he, he's like like overtaken by this, and he's outside, and he like grips his face and then faints. And um, so I do at that point that obviously his his condition and the noises were connected. I did like that it wasn't obvious what the connection was for quite a while, which, you know, a lot of these episodes can be like, yep, I know that's what's going on there. This one actually took a little while to kind of suss out, and I appreciated that. But you knew something was wrong. Right. I mean, even that, that small glimpse of Bell's behavior, it, it seems to progress pretty rapidly. Yeah. Um, so then he ends up, um, what was it? He ends up going into the... Uh, the, the, the sick bay yes. with the doc and the bit of him trying to sit up, it just feels like he's just being pulled by a rope as he's like jerking up and the, the doctor's keeping him down. You know, I thought that was really, really effective. Yeah. It, it, there's something definitely going on to the point where now he can, there's no way that he can explain it. Like even as the doctor is asking him like, what is it? What's going on? He's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's a this. weird feeling. Yeah. yeah. And I, but he's compelled. He just keeps wanting to like get up. And the, and I also appreciate the doctor sympathetic. Uh, so like not, and not that I was expecting like a whole ship full of like, you know, people that didn't care, but like you honestly got the feeling that, that this, this ship's doctor was honestly concerned for this guy. You got the idea that Beecham was honestly concerned and like most of the crew was. And it's like, and when you get to like what's going on in the episode, you get the sense that like these guys have all had a lot of shared experiences that only they themselves would have. So there has to be probably a certain amount of sympathy because who else can relate to it? Like you could, right? You know, so and, and the doctor's only equipped to take care of so much on the ship like that. I mean, like he's not a psychiatrist or anything. He's he takes care of injuries. Yeah, not people that feel like they're being pulled by a string. <laughs> you know, like right. forward. Uh, so then they decide that they're going to send a diver down to figure out what's going on um, with the, the object down below. And this is when McClure enters, who I believe is the true hero of the episode. Because the guy will just do whatever's being told, no matter, like, you know, like, they could have implied that he was getting exhausted, but he's like, okay, I'm ready for this. And so they tell him they need him down there to go check out what's going on. Whenever they were lowering his suit into the water, you heard a voice over the radio. Whose voice was that? 
I couldn't tell. It sounded like it sounded like Serling to me. It sounded like like when it was like you know there was two different points in the episode when there was like like radio talk. I swear that was Serling. Possibly just yeah. to pad it up that much more, and it's like they maybe felt like the scene was running flat a little bit, and they needed a little bit more dialogue in some sense. Yeah, um, and we didn't even mention I, I, this is me being out of sorts because I, I just have this weird feeling I've never had before. <laughs> uh, like we had Sterling voiceover, and it's like obviously him cut to like the gray mat. Where would you have liked to see Sterling on the ship to introduce the episode? Like one of the bulkheads, like just like <laughs> just popping right out, like a. Like a whack-a-mole. Well, I, I want the camera to pan down to where he's the one with a hammer, like just tapping the side and be like, ooh, I got a scary story for you guys. <laughs> you know, like it's just him just like, boogie, just, boogie, boogie. You just rip it off a cigarette, just smoke it, and just like banging something. Like, you know, they, they think it's a ghost and maybe, I don't know. But uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I liked the realistic shot of them showing the diving suit going down. But again, because I don't know if it was padding the episode, but there they kept they didn't go to that too many times, but they definitely lingered on him descending into the water and then ascending out of the water a little too long. Right, and it's like we get it; it's a diving suit. But right, yeah, I and and that's like part of the fifty-one minute expansion to this. It's like Rod is really like, what can I do to really make this seem a little bit more tense of a situation, and but like not really take away from the situation <laughs> yeah, either. And I the fact know. that they actually shot underwater too was like, I'm sure like wherever it was, like I'm sure it was like a, a studio tank or whatever that also impresses me, even though they showed uh poor McClure, like seemed to be walking over the same three feet of sub all the time. But again, 1963 you're shooting underwater i'm not too upset about that but they actually showed him underwater and it wasn't it wasn't them taking footage from another film and, and putting yeah, it in no, no, no shot stock it. footage or anything like that yeah. they, they, this was filmed for this episode yeah so that was cool and and the brief time they showed the sub at distance uh you know you knew it was you knew it was a prop but it still worked and i liked it i thought that was very effective and again it's nice to see the world kind of open up again whenever season three had a lot of budget constraints. So you had a lot of like really limited, like, you know, three people in a room or whatever. This was kind of nice to be like, great. We're actually seeing the world again. And I've seen movies from this period and in past that have had worse production value and how they've tried to portray a situation like this. So I actually thought they did a pretty good job. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, they they determined that the su- the, the sub's been that was sunk due to heavy fire because McClure, with his all knowing uh, beautiful eyes, sees that the scoring on like the the ship shows that it had taken heavy fire. They don't know uh, what the sub is, but because the 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 number on it is like un- like it's blocked. But they bring McClure back up and they're talking, and at that point, like they hear a noise and the sub is like settling. So. They send McClure back down to figure out what's going on. Right. Yeah. yeah. Tell, Beecham tells him to get a cup of coffee because you're about to go back down again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and that's when they talk about unknown station. This is Lady, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're 20 minutes into the episode. And I just want to note that uh, 20 minutes in, we know there's a sub and it's making noise and someone's possibly in it. It's like, that's what the first 20 minutes has been over and over and over again. And that, again, I shouldn't knock the episode, but it's just frustrating because it starts off like pretty compelling with, with bell and you hear this and you already got, you know, McClure down there, but they keep having these same conversations of like, what do you think it is? And Beecham's like, maybe it's a Spanish galleon, you know, all this stuff. And he's like, but maybe it's just our, our dick, you know, was it our dreams or or nightmares or whatever he says. And it's like, no, but there's a literal knocking noise. Everybody can hear that. Right. There was a bit too. Did, did you notice like when they sent, it was before they sent McClure down the first time. I can't recall where it was a montage 
kind of a montage of like five different shots of people just like staring and listening. <laughs> they, they rolled through like yeah, it was the before, sonar shack and everything. Yeah, it was uh, when they were actually hearing the sonar. Yeah. And uh, they, McClure hasn't been sent down yet. Okay. Because I just almost wanted a shot of a dog just cocking its head in the middle of all that to be like, does everybody hear it? Like, I wanna, like and I wanna, you get, this is like one of those scenes where you know that they're just like, they had to edit in the sound later. Yeah. And so they're just like, they have direction of, all right, now look up and. <laughs> and ponder. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's effective. Uh, so. Uh, yeah. Um, so then we go further along. We finally get back to what's going on with bell. And cause I feel like not that he's forgotten, but that, that first third, he's just kind of mentioned, you see him like once or twice. And then the rest of it is the amazing adventures of McClure going down to the sub. Uh, and then Aquaman. Yeah. But I like when we cut back to the, uh, medical quarters, the, the doctor's just smoking. <laughs> Did you know? He's just, just smoking with, with like his patient by the bed. He's just smoking a cigarette. I'm like 1963, everybody. That's like, you know, close quarters of the ship. Guess I'll just have a cigarette with my patient. That's not feeling well. Yeah. I, I, I give it up to the guy though. He just, the entire time he slept there, I, he was, he was by his side. I, I was like, yeah. hey, why wouldn't you go just read a magazine or something like that? I mean, what's going on really? Yeah. Um, so then, uh, we, we, bell wakes back up again. He's like, he feels like he's being summoned. Uh, and he's got to get up and get out. Um, so it's like, he keeps talking about this compulsion to get out. Um, but then that's, but then it cuts back to Beecham talking to McClure. And I th- that's when they start referring to the sub as a, she, I don't know if you had that in your notes where it's like, they get really weird talking about the sub, like, like weirdly specific about referring to it as a she, I don't know if this is like a thing for the Naval academies <laughs> and that, like they call their ships lady names and that but i know that they guys do that with cars and that i don't but I don't, it was like like he was like it. mcclure was like but the beach was like were you cold he's like i've been warmer and it's like she was swaying when i was down there i'm like what are you guys talking about like this whole thing like you need to get back down there again and hopefully you know what was it uh, don't spike her coffee yeah like time. yeah like just, <laughs> i want you to get down there and you just spark that lady mcclure he's like, I, i'm on it i'm on it you know, I'm the, I'm the Navy's leading sparker. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. I was uh, in no circles. <laughs> I learned from the best. Yes. Uh, Mr. Talbot taught me once. Yeah. Uh, so um, then, uh, you know, and I wrote my notes, McClure makes them all sway. <laughs> like, that's what I wrote. <laughs> uh, so then they, they, they determine because the ship has shifted that they, the, the numbers on it dictate that it's a U.S. sub. Now it becomes a rescue mission. Um, you know, because now they know it's, it's friendly. Um, but then, uh, this is when, um, uh, was it Beecham promises McClure a broiled steak that we never see delivered. He's just promised steaks, you know, for his, his, I'd be pissed, man. I, yeah. I want my steak right then when yeah, I come with my up. cup of coffee, like you know, hot right. steak. I just, dude, I'm in the, I'm, I'm 30, 30 fathoms, fathoms down. down. Yeah. Yeah. Give me this steak now. No. Yeah. You know, um, so then they, they find out that the, the ship itself, the sub was uh, sunk in 42. And I like that someone had to say, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> like they had to point it out. Math. We could do that. <laughs> and so, yeah, they keep uh, they keep kind of going back like, well, how is that possible? Because we hear the noise. And there's a great line. I don't know if you have the line where um, they ask, like, who do you think's down there? And what um, what Beecham said. Oh, he's I like, don't. he's I like, don't. you know, somebody who dies damn hard is what he oh, says. Oh, yeah, yeah, a, dude. Oh, yeah, I do have that. Do. No, yeah. it's, it's a good line. Beecham says, whoever is down there, die, there dies damn Damn hard, yeah. And it's like that's a good line. That's a that's a great line. So then, um, we uh, we go back to Doc. To, he goes to the he goes to the captain. Says Bell's cracking up. Uh, they they're what they're describing to me sounds like PTSD. 
with him. Yeah, it really does. That like just like his duress that he's going through at that point, and it's it, it's it can't be described as anything more than that. And then like even Beecham's like it's weird because this guy's been doing this for years, and this is when he finally snaps and cracks, you know. Uh, but then um, at one point, uh, Bell says to the doc, I think, uh, w- you know, what scares you more when they pound or when they shut up or like basically be like, what's worse, the noise or the lack of it? Like that has to be scarier, right, to him. Right. He's just being driven mad by this. Um, so then they're in like uh, the the whatever the not cantina but like the you know the, the canteen. cantina yeah the canteen <laughs> yeah uh and and so uh bixby is there the ood probably with the ood junior you know his, his young son the ood junior <laughs> and they're like having like some coffee and they and uh beecham comes in and was like uh they're talking he's like well and bixby's character's like well maybe he's reliving his time in world war ii you know and he's like what do you mean he's like he was picked up you know like Near in here, this area, yeah, when his vessel was lost, and it's like, oh, well, there we go, a little bit more information, um, and then then we find out what more is bothering Bell, and this gets a little bit, it gets, it goes from being like suggested to overt, and I, I'll let you talk about that scene because I'm sure you dug that. Um, yeah, so back at sick bay, Bell is, uh, he wakes up suddenly, and when he. he's just like looking around, he just seems like something is confusing him, not sure what he's being called to do and he looks into the mirror and when he does he sees five apparitions that he's completely confused by and suddenly he he grabs a hold of i i don't even know what it was it was like a like one of those medicine pans or whatever like that and he throws it and breaks the mirror yeah so that image though like it's a very haunting like because it's like this ethereal like five guys like beckoning to him and like you could tell like they all look like wet and dripping, you know, and it's like, he's freaked out. Um, so then he ends up like telling, uh, you know, the doc what's going on. And the doc has a good line about like, you could talk yourself in any kind of nightmare you want. That's a good line. They tells bell. Uh, and bell's like, I need to open the door. He's like, no, you don't. He's like, but I have to, and he's like, and I'm afraid what's out there, but I have to open this door, you know? And it's again, give credit to that actor. Cause he, he, you can just, there's like this, you, you feel his desperation of like, I don't want to do this but I have to do this. Right. It's like that kind of like that. I know me scratching this itch is going to make it worse, but I can't not do that. And he's, he's totally compelled at this point. Like he is just over the top at this point. Now it's like, even if he decides not to do it, that he is going to do it because of that, that being that, that, that pole that's happening for him. Yeah. Cause he keeps saying like, I feel like if I could just get up on deck, I'd be gone forever. Like something to that effect. Right. And so, uh, you know, the doc opens the door, looks outside. Well, actually, no, the bell opens the door, looks outside, sees the dead men, right? And then he freaks out. And then the doc looks and doesn't see anybody, but he looks down and he finds like seaweed. seaweed. But yeah. Did you notice the dubbing there? Like there was this really abrupt, like, I don't know if it was the doc's voice or somebody used here. Seaweed. seaweed. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's like, in a totally different tone. Yeah, I don't like, even think it was his voice. No, I don't know whose voice it was. It was yeah. just like, we get it. There's supposed to be something here, but yeah. it's like, we have to tell people seaweed it was yeah. really i almost expected a tile card to pop up just to let people know like, <laughs> like pointing yeah, at it like with a scientific designation underneath too and like parentheses, <laughs> you know like 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 a like a warner brothers cartoon like right. seaweed pink you know um but that was also really effective because then doc doc wants to believe bell but doesn't see anything but then sees that and he's like you know we don't really get a lot of resolution with this character but you know he believes something's going on there. right and that's creepy. Like, I thought that was really effective. And, and yeah, and, you know, he's got to be 
he's got to be more analytical about it. You know, he's the doctor. He knows that Bell is going through some stuff right now, and he really can't help him at, at, for the 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 mental part of it. Yeah. But as he sees this now, it's like it becomes more real to him as well. Yeah. And so then uh, this is when we get um, – uh, we find out McClure has to go back down one more time. Here we go again. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, I was like, McClure getting cold again. He's probably owed like 20 steaks by now because every time they just bring McClure up to have a conversation, send him back down, but they could talk to him through the, the suit. So it's like, I don't know what's going on. Honestly, if I was a McClure at this point, I'd pull the captain aside and be like, dude, what am I doing different this time? What really am I supposed there, to be there achieving? There was this, these bits of like, you know, can you hear it down there? Yes. Okay, it's like, all right, guys, you're going to hear me do some noise next. And then he pounds. And then, and then the captain's like, was that you? Like, yes. Like, there's a lot <laughs> of that where it's like, you know, your guys are going to hear next is me. It's this whole thing of back and forth of like, we, okay. Clarification. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, that was me. I made that noise. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever. Um, but I also like the, the notion that he could he would be able to hear better down there with a diving suit on. <laughs> What like what makes you think you can hear anything with that helmet? I don't yeah, know. In that deep of water as well. Like, yeah. Is it really gonna ring as clearly as it is? No, but it sounds like it does, right? So I um, mean, it seems like it's on stereo on the ship too. Like yeah. everybody's listening to it. Like tune it in, man. Yeah, man. You guys hear that? Did you hear the the hammer pounding things? Like, yeah. It's like that real uh, entry level industrial music. Yeah, that, that I've been was wanting. that was like three inch nails. Yeah, <laughs> like that was what that was. <laughs> You know, that was the early, early, early one. Like, uh, you know, Trent Reznor's like, I can do better than that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, so then uh, we get to the bit like where McClure goes back down because he's also supposed to, they're, they're, they've already messaged like another local, like not local, but like a rescue crew that's specific for the sub because they're going to find a way to get in and they want McClure to run point on it. But he's down there again. He, and he finds dog tags, which... That yeah, that's interesting. It's like you know, we know that the su- this this sub is sunk, so of course you're going to find collateral from that. Uh, but then he was able to read the dog tags while he was down there, which whatever. But because he knows something's not right. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I was like, they're trying to explain this away as quickly as possible, but it's like there's no possible way of that. I but I mean, unless he read them once he got back up on the ship, it's like maybe there's that. Like that's fine, but it's still like with. Whatever, when I say problems with the script, the only problems I have with the script is that it's a little too long. I, I feel like that's a little too long and that repeats itself. But I I feel like if that's going to be my gripe for season four, then you guys are going to get tired of me saying that every episode. Uh, I hope that maybe it finds its way. Hopefully they start kind of like getting their groove about what these episodes can be. And like you said, this one was prepped with the potential of it going to an hour long but it was initially written to be a shorter, like an actual the original. Right. Runtime. Yeah. They, they were, they yeah. were really planning on this being part of a, a shorter season, which is weird because I don't know if 24 minutes would have told the story. Well, I don't, I, I, I was talking to my wife about this. I don't think that really, uh, expanding it as much as I did, did anything for the story, but mm. like 24 minutes really didn't feel like that would have explained everything. Because you if you're going to have the parallel it. tracks of what's going on with the sub and with bell, I think one of those would have got shortchanged. Yeah, I believe that. And um, so that that's like so it, it's weird because like you because you mentioned it last week with in his image about like there's certain scenes you can lop off completely and it wouldn't affect the outcome. Right. You could have went through and taken a lot of this out like surgically and you wouldn't miss much and you could probably have like a nice forty minute episode that would feel a lot better. 
you know? Um, and I know that's putting the cart before the horse, but it's like, it's almost like you almost want CBS to kind of be like, let's just kind of redo this and put this back out. Because if this is supposed to be the black eye of the five seasons and we have our CBS all access and we're going to do the new Jordan Peele series and release it in black and white, why not go through and see if maybe there's something you could do to pep it up a little bit to get people excited for this. You know, that's just my thought. I don't know. I'm also spoiled by with Netflix having like black mirror when an episode can go like 40 minutes or an hour and 20, you know? So I feel like creators are now given a little bit more leeway about the length they need to tell a story. Yeah. And I think that they like parse that out, like as, as quickly as possible. Like they, they know they have a meat like to a storyline yeah. where it's like, it, it will fit a time slot better than other ones. And they've, they've had somebody take care of that. Yeah. Legwork beforehand. And also now too, I mean, if this was for broadcast today, the runtime of this thing would might be 46 minutes. Like there'd be a lot more room for commercials. So you would be forced to make decisions. Definitely. You know? Definitely yeah, so, nowadays. Yeah. So anyway, we're, we're not, I, I stepped on the ending here. So, uh, so they get, so we get McClure back up. We don't know if he gets steaks. That's the biggest unsolved mystery. He's got to be starving, man. Yeah. Like, I just, you know, <laughs> and how much coffee has he been drinking? And where did that coffee go? You're in a deep sea diving suit. If you had that much coffee and kept going up and down while you're in a body of water, you know he peed that suit. Wait, you yeah. know, you know he had to. Have. I think so. He, he, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm honestly like, even he, thinking about it. I have to pee. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like, like the captain's like, What's that noise? And it's like McClure is that you? And he's like, uh, uh, no, that's not me at all. That's the that's that's the sub making that noise. It it sprung a leak. <laughs> like I can Zip. see. <laughs> no, no, the water down here didn't get warmer at all. This is weird. Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> you guys are wetting yourselves. Like I said, that so. Um, so anyway, we get to we find out that the, the dog tags actually belong to Bell, and there's actually a good scene of um, Beecham confronting Bell about this. And you get you get Bell's take on the story, not his take on the story. What actually happened was he was working a signal on that sub, and he was supposed to put like an infrared filter on one of the, the lights at the night at nighttime, and he dropped it. And because of his uh, his mistake, the Japanese found that sub and opened fire and sunk it. And he was like the only one to survive to right. get out. That was like his one main job, and he basically screwed it up for the entire crew. Yeah, which. If, if you go back to the beginning of the episode, he's being brought in the office because he didn't secure something properly. So not that I'm saying that like when he gets stressed, he forgets things, but it's like there was precedence there of like he made a mistake and maybe even that was still rattling him more because you get the notion that the closer they got to the sub, the more it was affecting him. Right. You know, so but he feels guilty. And then he he now feels that like I need to go there because they're they're calling me back. I got away. And Beecham's like, no, you you can like if there's a, some word in there about like, you put that you put that in your stowaway bag of like of remembering it but don't feel guilty about it like you know basically like it happened it was a mistake you're human yeah trying to just um, really trying to uh, solidify the fact it's like you can't do anything about the past all we can do is just understand what our mistakes were and move forward yeah and i i liked that because again, like Sterling does get to speak to a lot of like the like the horrors of warfare because he saw a lot of stuff too. And it's like um, there was a season one episode called The Purple Testament that kind of deals with this. And then there's even a season one episode called Judgment Night that deals with uh, the guilt of what happened on a ship. And I don't know if it's Sterling's story or not. I can't remember. But there, there's these elements of this of this like there's a generation here that dealt with the stuff they don't talk about. And he's openly like speaking to it. And it's a very honest conversation. Like that's pretty brave, especially in a time when men didn't talk about their feelings. You had two men on a ship saying, 
yeah, this isn't your fault. You need to like learn how to move forward. Yeah, I think that this really needed to be addressed in some format. Uh, I, the horrors of war in general are just like something that was like so taboo, and still to this day, a lot of people just don't want to talk about it. And I, like this, the way that Rod really puts it at um, on blast, really at this point, and how somebody can make a mistake and how difficult it is for them to move forward. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot to digest. And considering, well, like if I remember, he got saved um, in combat too by somebody. Like he was like out down for the count. Someone like pulled him out and saved him. So he probably feels survivor's guilt for that too. You know. So right. and I'm sure it creeps in here. And also consider too, this is in the the looming shadow that is the escalating conflict of the Vietnam War. Like uh, going in like last season, we were finding more and more of these tendrils starting to snake out about the U.S.'s involvement, and they weren't publicly commenting about it, but it was starting to happen. So you have Sterling making reference to World War II, and it, a lot of you know it just talk about this being timely in a way that it probably didn't know it was being timely, you know, and and it's still timely now, you know, in that sense. But because even now. Um, there's a lot of stigmatism around people that come back from serving, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's, there's more understanding now, but there's still a stigmatism. Like, I can't even imagine like, you know, this guy, it's like, like character of, of bell, like knowing that his mistake sunk a ship full of men, even though knowing it was an error, like, how do you live with That's that? That's a lot of baggage. It really yeah. is. And then like, I even think that like his mental status at that point is being, almost swayed because he's back at that location like his judgment on uh securing that boat i think it's just that time and place it's like he's almost being transported back to being that ship hand yeah and so he actually like pounds his fist in his hand and i was really hoping and this is just me always writing like after the fact that his the rhythm of him doing that would have matched the pounding of the sub it didn't but you still got it across that he's like i hear it and it's pounding it's like if he would have matched that rhythm of that noise which they might you're right they might have brought that in later so you may not have known the actual like beat mm. how or if he would even pound to the side of that room and you got that metal thunk how great would that have been to kind of like just seal the deal? Like yeah, it would have been... solidified that there's a bigger connection for Bell and the noise and the sh- and the sub that's been sunk. Yeah, uh, that's just me. I'm always like looking backwards on that. But he ends up, he, he says, they're calling mustard on me. I honestly thought he said they're calling mustard on me. And I'm like, what does that mean? D- did you look it up? I looked it up. Oh, I'm glad you did because I I forgot to look it up because I was just confused. Because he kept he kept saying he's like they're calling mustard on me and I'm like he's not saying that and he goes running out of the relish, ship I'm like relish. relish it's like what is this the hot dog race at the Indians game like you know like what like you just see sour well there is three people running, running at this point yeah yeah just someone knocks him over and jumps off the ship first it's like oh catch up wins no. <laughs> Oh, they're calling mustard on me. No, it's a mustard. It's M-U-S-T-E-R, right? So the noun is a definition of a muster is a gathering or collection of people or things. Uh, as an example, a muster is a group of military personnel meeting for a roll call. And in a verb, it says, is defined as to bring or gather somebody together. Oh, um, so okay. an example is a, a muster is a troop sergeant summoning troops for a gun inspection. So when he's like, they're calling muster on me. That's an actual term. Like get the point. Here. And he's like, he's like, I'd be like, they're calling, roll, they're calling roll call. Like they're, they're calling me. They're calling muster. And he just, he just beelines it, you know. So, um, so the scene is now not as unintentionally funny as I thought it was because it means a lot. 
But and I shouldn't. But it's still great him just like losing his mind. I thought and saying the word mustard, which is not what he did. But you get that panic, and he's like, "I got to do this. I'm going." Right. Jumps overboard, and you know he's gone. It, there, there is a slight bit of comedy for me still in this scene <laughs> because, uh, you know, Bell is running like crazy, and then the doctor's trying to keep up with him. Yeah. But Beecham is like right on their tail, man. Like he's like Jason fast. Like he's still right behind. Uh, he them. should know that shit backwards and forwards, right? He uh, should yeah. know. He should know his special lady backwards different and forwards. Corridors. Yeah, yeah. yeah, special lady. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> All right. Like, like I call this is this is the USS Edson. I call her Edie for short. Like what? No, that doesn't make sense. You know. Um. All right. So yeah. So Bell Bell jumps overboard, and there we go. Try to find him, and you find out. Later, like they've been searching for 10 hours. He's gone. And then at that point, um, the rescue ship shows up and McClure, the man of the hour, has to go back down again uh, to help them. And so they do a quick shot of the interior of the sub, which is great. I don't know if it was needed. This is one of those times where I feel like they could have just had him come in like, like, you know, look like he just got done diving and tell the story of what happened. Right. But it's still, I mean, it's still great because like you see his face. And so he, but he says, we got in there, we found up what was like left of men, multiple men. And I'm surprised he didn't say we found bell inside the sub. I was expecting that. Like, dude, that's exactly what I said to my wife. I was like, in watching that scene, I was like, it's gotta be bell. It's going to be bell now because he jumped into the water and we're going to find him in the sub somehow. Like somehow like without explanation, a young, like maybe even a younger version of, yeah, something right. But he's not in there, but they find like, it's implied that it's like this, like, just decaying mass of men. Right. And, um, and so then, uh, McClure's like, and one of them had a hammer in his hand, but right. he also mentioned that one of the periscope things, uh, inside got sheared. It was and they, it was swinging back and forth. So there's a logical explanation for the knocking potentially. Yeah. But also that one of the dead men had a hammer and it's like that. So when it comes to the supernatural and I, even, um, Beecham's like, that's the part you'll tell your grandchildren about, like basically saying that's off the record. You know, like we, we know that there's dead men in there. We lost bell. That's how this is going to end. You know, like that's like, I could, I could appreciate that. Like, cause earlier in the episode, Beecham goes to Bill Bixby. He's like, I need you to ver- verify this for me. Cause they're going to think I'm crazy. Yeah. You know? Beecham really seems more concerned about his, uh, how people are going to approach his statement and like what they think of him because it could discredit the entire ship because it's like, so he just like, okay, this is the official record, but you know what you saw. Right. And he kind of believes it too, but he's like, you're, that's what you're going to tell your, your grandkids. So normally when it comes to supernatural stuff like this, like ghost stories, I usually get a little frustrated where it's like, well, ghosts can do whatever. And like, oh, it's like, oh, it could have been a ghost. At least Serling, as much as you get bell seeing the ghosts, so that could have been in his head, but then the doc finds the seaweed. So where did that come from? Cool. That kind of walks line a little bit. Then you get at the end where they find dead men in that sub and bell's gone. And one of them had a hammer. It's like, so it could have been, or it could have been the periscope. Like, right. I, I like that. You know, even though you get the idea that Sterling's like, yeah, it was ghosts, but like, it's like, you could still have one foot in the reality. And I, I like those stories where it's like, there's the, in a weird way, plausible deniability of the supernatural it still have somewhat logical explanations because you have the dog tags, you know, Bill was already there, you know, he feels guilt, you know, like I, I like this ending. I really do. Yeah, I, I think it, 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 in this kind of ending, Rod gives it to the viewer like you can feel how you want about this. Yeah. Is it supernatural or is it explainable? 
Yeah, because earlier in season one, he actually had a couple that would like leave you being like, what maybe happened? And I guess a lot of fan mail came in saying, we want answers. So he had to kind of figure out a way to reel it in because he liked leaving things a little bit more vague. Right. But he had to also walk the line of like, you got to give the, the, the viewer something, which I, I think sometimes doesn't work out well. In this case, I like it. Um, it's just an, an, like, so I don't mind that ending. I, I thought that was actually pretty interesting. Uh, cause it has that kind of old ghost story feel of like, oh, and there was a ham raised hand the entire time. Right. Yeah. And I actually like the scene with McClure in the sub. It, it's almost like a money shot kind of like synopsis of like what's going on. Mm-hmm. They show his face and like basically his, um, view of what had happened like the carnage that he sees like the look on his face is actually pretty pretty considering that like he's been the one closest to this the entire time and hearing this noise and there's even a bit too when he pounds against the hull and it gives a response that's not the same beat and they never get back to that like it's implied that oh well somebody responded to him and it's again i don't mind the the vagueness of that um so yeah i didn't mind this ending i mean it's something that we've seen similarly done in other episodes of Twilight Zone, but if if I'm going to um, be negative because it's been quote unquote done before, then I'm in, I'm I, then I should probably stop watching the Twilight Zone right now because we're going to see these revisiting of themes. I, I, but so I'll say this: like I mentioned this earlier, whenever they first introduced Bell's dilemma and then the noise, I didn't know how they were connected, and that's I think that was really great. It wasn't so obvious to begin with. No, not in the beginning at all. No. Like I just like his reactions. Like it, it seemed like two separate problems: uh, the 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 knocking mm-hmm. that they're hearing in the ocean, and whatever Bell is like going through at that moment. And I like too that it's like these are Navy men dealing with this in like a procedural way. That felt very modern to me. Like, because uh, you you could easily have that like that one person just like you know going off like the deep end and being like the hysterical one, be like it's the like like the one guy, it's ghosts, man. Like, I'll get him out of the episode. I don't need him there the uh, yeah. entire time. Like, oh, we've got McClure here. Do we have our uh, you know on ship psychic? Can we bring them in now too? You know, like, give commentary. Yeah, yeah. Like so, um, yeah. I, I you know like uh, like I said, other than the pacing, I, I like this episode a great deal. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I think the the pacing was the thing that really made the episode falter a little bit for me. But, you know, I'll save that for the end. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So did you have any other, like, notes about the episode or did you have some trivia? Because I have a little bit of trivia about the episode. Yeah, I do have some trivia. Let you, let's go with yours first. Okay. So uh, when, he was, when Rob was working on the script, the big thing is to get the Navy involved because they want to actually use the ship. So he had to get it approved and there was like a, a liaison for this. But uh, at one point, like they wanted to use the Navy as a story point in earlier drafts of the script had skeletons being shown and someone suggesting uh, like someone's like, Hey, the Navy probably won't sign off on skeletons in the sub. And they reminded Sterling of all the bodies that are currently in the USS Arizona and Pearl Harbor. And he was like, they were removed from the script immediately. <laughs> I yeah, like, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't see that going through at any one point. Yeah, I was like, I can't do that. And he's like, okay, fine, we won't do that. So g- good call. Look, I'll, I'll agree with that change. Uh, one of the things I had is uh, th- during the shooting, there was two different ships that were used for interior and exterior shots. So the Edson was for interior, and was there a different one for the exterior? Uh, well, I had the, um, the exterior shots were done on the USS Mullinex or Mullinex, Mullinex. Yeah, probably Mullinex. And, the, yeah. uh, and then the interior shots 
uh, were on the Edson. Yes. Yeah. So, and the reason I remember that because like like a McClure's diving, uh, he had like the jackets at Edson. That's the reason I'm like, that's the name of the ship, right? So, uh, another bit I have here: Bill Bixby couldn't memorize all his numbers in the jargon, so can't blame him. So he read them off of paper, placed off camera. And if you watch the scene, you can see him looking, but it's like, I don't know who else remembered all those numbers because he rattled off like it's just, he was like reading off like the Fibonacci sequence or whatever. It just kept going like all the numbers of pie. It was what he was reading out loud. <laughs> like he's still reading them. And it's like, yeah, I would need I would need uh, a cue card as well. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out is I, I didn't really understand what a fathom was. Oh, that's like, so a fathom is actually supposed to be, I think the distance, like, you know, of, of a man's like width of his, like, yeah, his that's arm what length. it initially was, yeah. but that had to be standardized and it was like, yeah, like six feet. So yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. So in you know, the actual distance down to the sub was 180 feet. Yeah. So there you go. And yeah. then, uh, in the area that they say that they are and in, in the longitude latitude that they give, that's actually about like. 5,600 feet deep in that area. <laughs> so, well, because the reason they had to change the the depths and the title of the episode is because of the issue of communicating with McClure. Because uh, if they're going to have a sub like deeper, then they couldn't use a diving suit because the technology didn't go much deeper than that to have a diving suit that you could actually have like physical communications with the diver. Yeah. So they had to make it like shallower to get that story point across because at first he was just going to be like a diver and like this, like a skin suit and like talking. And they're like, there's the, we can't do that right now. Right. Like, it doesn't make technical. It's not going to translate well. Yeah. Cause it's like, it just physically is impossible. At yeah. That Cause point. around this time they were using a completely different diving suit at, like yeah. in general, like they, they had phased out the hard top, like metal, um, like helmet, like they yeah. had had in this. So that was like, and again, if, if that's how, if that's how you get over the hurdle of, we need to have constant communication with McClure, which I know a lot of it was just him banging on stuff, but it's like, you needed that, like that perspective to, cause he would, he would say things that you couldn't necessarily show because just the limit of like, you know, the set or whatever. So I get why they did that. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I, I think that it just, even as a viewer, I don't think that anybody's going to be nitpicking that back in at this time and period. Like they're just like, there it is. Yeah, that's it's that's all I need. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then also, so whenever the the uh, episode wrap filming, Serling, being the class act that he is, gave the Edson a server silver service punch bowl with an inscription thanking them for their contribution to the Twilight Zone. Supposedly, it's still on that ship and it's used during ceremonial and festive functions. How great would that be? It's like you're just like, what's that? Oh, Rod's is that a Twilight Zone bowl? Oh, good. I, this nothing bad's going to happen on this ship. <laughs> like you know. But that would be cool. That's awesome that he actually thanked them. And again, he he's a man of military service himself, so I'm sure he understood. I like, believe you know. the ship is decommissioned too. I'm I'm wondering Maybe, where yeah. it's at and like I where mean, it would make sense that has to be they, they would have been like how old at that time? Yeah. Right. Like, so I don't know where it'd be at, but that bowl somewhere. So. Yeah, we can find it. We can find it. Yeah, yeah like that's it, that's our mission. Maybe it's it might 30. be in like Long Beach or something like that. Like the Queen Mary's out there. It's probably like right next to the Queen Mary. <laughs> yeah, that we got two stops right there. We'll, just, we'll we'll listen for the sound of a punch bowl being hit yeah. rhythmically. You know, like tapping. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's all I had for the episode in terms of like trivia and notes. I don't know if you had anything else. No, that's pretty much it for me at this point too. Okay. So let's just uh, let's just rate the twist. And again, let's this will be interesting. I feel like there's two twists in this one is that the knocking would be directly related to Bell's condition. I gave that a three, which I just didn't, I didn't know how it was going to work. So I saw that there was going to be a connection. I didn't know how. 
and that certainly would give a real possible reason for the knocking and a ghostly reason. I also give that a three because he likes walking that line and I appreciate it. So neither one of these things like, like blew my socks off, but like they were good enough that I liked them. And I think both of them were worthy enough of a twist. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think you did the good thing here by breaking both parts of those up and like giving each one of their own little twist. Ratings. Yeah. Cause I mean, I don't. What, what other than that? What's like the big twist that Bell was associated with the sub? I think that's tied directly to the knocking. You know? Right. So, yeah. So, I, I, I think uh, Bell's reactions and how they actually translate. I, I would say like two for me. Okay. And um, I'm I'm gonna go with a two for the overall outcome as well because I really wanted something more mm-hmm. at the end. I mean, I I didn't feel like it was a terrible episode, but honestly, I I felt like it ran a little flat for me. I actually fell asleep during this. I, <laughs> and I, this was there were three viewings I had of it. A thirty fathom nap. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like it was just it, it wasn't the payoff that I was hoping for. Well, that's fair. I maybe because my radar is a little off from the first episode we just watched of the season that I wasn't sure what I was going to think of this one. I came I came out of it liking it more because it's a little bit more of a coherent story. Not that, not that his image isn't, it's just that one kind of goes all over the place and it introduces a lot of stuff on like the 11th hour and that, and this it's like, it, it's determined is that it introduces things and just won't let it go. But I felt like it was a more complete story. So whenever it gave me like an ending that was satisfactory, I'm like, okay, that's middle of the road. I was okay with it. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, again, not terrible, but yeah, no, not- no, no. The, the twist rating should not be indicative of how we felt about the episode. Right. Yeah, Cause people be like, you gave that a two. It's like, I liked it. Like, how dare you? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I mean, that's it. I, I don't have anything else to say about 30 Fathom Grave other than, you know, I'm glad I watched it. I've now seen it twice. I think I'm good for a while. <laughs> I don't need to go to it a third time unless I want to take a nap like Terry did. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's it's easy. It's easy watching when you want to take a nap, honestly. <laughs> it, it, my wife and I both fell asleep yeah. during this one. It's like, oh, Bill Bixby's talking again. Oh, you know, like it's just. But guess, he's so dreamy, though. I guess I'll just fall asleep at the beginning of him reading numbers. Then I'll wake up a half hour later when he's done reading numbers. And then I'll be rested. I'll move on with the rest of the episode. There is a there is like a little joke between my wife and I now about this episode. There was a lot of very well in the beginning, <laughs> like, like giving big commands back and forth. Very well. Very well. Very yeah. well. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that's going to do it for 30, uh, 30 Fathom Grave. Uh, before we get on to what we're doing next, uh, you guys can find us on our Facebook page. It's uh, Strange Highways uh, there. And uh, I know, Terry, you wanted to, to give a shout out, and rightfully so. I, I thank you for everybody who has recently liked our, uh, our show and have started following us. Uh, we definitely appreciate the love. I would say spread the word as much as you can. Uh, we are, we're back. We're back at full force, and we want to give you the best product as possible. And yeah. we want you to reach back out to us too. I, we, we've been colder, but you know we've been warmer, and we're just going to keep getting in that podcast diving suit and keep going down four uh, times. Four times. <laughs> yeah. Still waiting for that steak, man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, thank you guys. It's been, it's been great to get all the wonderful notifications. People have been liking the page and I hope you guys have been enjoying the episodes and, uh, you guys can also, if you want to have direct feedback, like, you know, you could message us on the Facebook page or you can email us at strange highways podcast at gmail.com. That'd be great. Um, and I'm sure you've already listened to this episode through however you got your podcast, but we are available on Stitcher, Podbean, uh, Google music, Apple podcasts, um, 
you know, uh, Dollar General. I don't know. Um, the guy know, in the trench coat. The guy in the trench coat. Yeah. Uh, it's next Marks, to the Rolexes. Marks, you know, is probably where well, this is probably in like a tub full of like eight tracks and cassette tapes. I don't know. Wherever you get your podcast, uh, rate and review us. It'd be wonderful because the the more you guys rate and review us. Uh, the more it, it just shows up in algorithms and people can see things. So that'd be great. So we appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the feedback. We have gotten some of that recently too. keep it coming. We, we really want to reach back out to you guys and give you what you want to. So tell yeah, us what you want to hear. Been telling me that Terry's is too sexy and I'm like, we'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll ring it in somewhere, you know? So maybe not. I don't aim to please. Them that <laughs> way. All right. So next episode we're getting to is called Valley of the Shadow. And I'm going to do my best to read Serling's intro here, or teaser, teasing of the episode. Next on the Twilight Zone, a marvelously exciting excursion into a very strange place called Valley of the Shadow. It comes from the probing mind of Mr. Charles Beaumont, and whether you are a science fiction buff, a fantasy lover, or just need fulfillness to escape, this one should fill most of your requirements. I like most of your requirements. It's like, if you're kind of these things, but maybe not, this should fill most of them. So like, yeah, the half hearted, like uh, eh. stay, just stay home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, we got some more Beaumont and this sounds like, uh, this might be more in his wheelhouse of just getting kind of weird. So let's just, you know, I'm, I'm excited for this. I'm and, looking for weird. I want weird again. Yeah. Well, Beaumont gets weird. And, yeah. and like, so yeah, we're, so in the meantime, uh, yeah, have a good week. Um, I don't know. I'd say, uh, you know, if you're going to use a diving suit, just just plan ahead. So you're just going to take care of it all in one trip. Um, and then, I don't know. If there's a, a weird knocking at the bottom of the ocean, maybe just leave it be. Because it sounds like nothing good came of it. And make sure you get your steak. the other thing captain she wasn't stuck in tight deep yes but not tight she seemed to be swaying when i was down there are you cold mcclure <laughs> i've been warmer sir and you will be again but right now you're going to get colder get yourself some coffee and go back down i want you to check her bow she may have pulled herself loose and you can read the number <laughs>